Fitness Pro Mentor community, what is going on? This is Brandon from the Fitness Pro Mentor podcast, and I'm extremely excited to be chatting with you today because truthfully, I'm talking about something I'm very passionate about. If you've been around here for a while, you know Fitness Pro Mentors and myself and Strata, we are devoted to helping the world move and exercise pain-free. Truthfully, we believe that pains, disease, aging shouldn't limit your participation with exercise, and Fitness Pro Mentors as a personal training education platform is devoted to helping trainers like you do more of that. Our marketing mentorship is one of the main things that we have talked about, but through our entire marketing mentorship, one of the things that all of our students will start to see is that we talk about post-activation potentiation and different ways to collect data in strategic ways to optimize your business. So today, I'm extremely excited to present something with you that I've shared with students a few months ago and talk about how you can use inexpensive dynamometers to make some very critical and incredible changes to your thought process. Very quickly, I've been working as a trainer for 17 years. I've been a part of a lot of different certifications, and one thing has become absolutely evident. The more assessment data that we can get that is strategic and useful for our decision-making of designing exercise that lines up with our clients' needs, the better. And it's been hard because the understanding of what we do as far as assessments go and what assessments are the best to do, it's, it's really, really changed quite a lot over the last few years. So quickly, if you're here, please say hello. We'd love to say hi to everybody. But what we're going to do to jump into this is a tiny little story. Uh, kind of like I just regarded, been a part of a lot of different certifications for a long time. And several certifications uh, were really revolutionary to me and really revolutionized my thought process of how I worked with clients. But then I would find myself kind of limited, like doing manual therapeutic style techniques. It was bad because I was being educated by people that made me feel like I was closer to a physiotherapist than I truly was. In reality, my scope is just exercise and resistance training. And I love it. And it's very cool because if we understand resistance training and personal training, you can make some incredible changes. A lot of these very controlled assessment tools that we use can be very, very good at rudimentary levels. But at one end of the continuum, we have to be able to take it and go all the way to the other end. How do we get someone at a high level of performance, do everything they possibly want to? How do we take a 70 year old to be able to still hop around on Easter and play with their grandkids? So without further ado, I want to introduce something that's been helping frame my thought process within Strata and our personal trainers team. And it's what I call the PAPP resistance training continuum. And I know it's a mouthful, but thank you, Charlie McMillan, for introducing me to post-activation potentiation. Truthfully, I don't think that I'm necessarily an expert at it, but I spent a lot of time studying it and really learning as much as I can. And so the subscript P, post-activation potentiation preparation, regards that most of the things that we do in the vein when we're thinking about PAP is preparing the body for the response of post-activation potentiation. And so if you've ever seen anybody say, ah, oh, we're doing a post-activation potentiation exercise, Fine, but truthfully, the exercise is preparing the body to have the internal phenomenon of improving, improving force development, rate of force development through the H reflex, calcium sensitivity, and potentially penation angle by eliciting a specific stimulus in a spe specific dosing without fatiguing the body or creating some sort of nociceptive response. And in some cases, even when there's fatigue and pain, there still can be a potentiation effect, but that's risky, so we're not going to touch that. What I have here is a way that we are thinking about how we're using 
dynamometers within strata internal performance, the gym that I'm the owner of with an incredible team of people. And we're trying to streamline our process personally, to be quite honest, to make sure that anyone at any level doesn't have to invest into $15,000 of courses to get caught up to speed to help people. We want to try and create a simple way that people, trainers at any level can start collecting data and start making incredible changes. Now, one of my hesitations with this, just letting you know, business owner to business owner is, gosh, that's expensive. These devices are expensive. Some of them can be. I have a $500 one downstairs that I use for more of my course teaching, but all of these crane scales here, um, they're as accurate as they need to be to get started. They're around $60 Canadian. So if you're in the US, that's like $2 because our money sucks. <laughs> but truthfully, you don't need to spend much to get into this world. And there's a variety of different forms and different price points. And truthfully, if you know how to play with pulleys, you can buy an 80 pound luggage scale and put a half or pulley on it. And in most cases, that'll work just fine. Most of these, like the one that I like, the KLU, it has a hold function. So you can actually see what the peak force was at any given time. And you can do newtons, pounds, or kilograms. For the sake of purpose, uh, we're going to be talking about just pounds on this. But what I have on the page here is basically a step-by-step -step process of how I like to think about things. Now, what I would encourage all of you to do is before we talk about any sort of maximal voluntary isometric contractions, it's important to recognize that if you ever make anybody do a maximal force production of anything, you are going to their max force production. I think that's a very simple way of thinking of it, right? If I push on somebody and do a, a manual muscle test style thing and they cannot hold that position, that was a one rep max moving into maximal voluntary or involuntary eccentric contraction. That is a high mal level of force production. <clears throat> so it pushes into me hard as they can for a second. We arm wrestle for a second. One Mississippi hold, right? That is a one rep max ice max isometric excursion. And the reason why I say that is if I were to say, hey, take the 70 year old and make them do a one rep max bench press or squat, that seems irresponsible to most trainers. And it is. But we're not thinking of it in that way right now. We're not even thinking about it in the movement. We're just thinking about it in the isometric positional sense. If you're thinking one rep max bench press is inappropriate for a 70 year old, a one rep max isometric also may be inappropriate without knowing someone's history or individual tolerances. Now, truthfully, we can get to a one rep max isometric for one second quickly with the appropriate dosing and progression model, but we're not doing that just yet. What we're going to do is we're just going to think about, well, how do we get into this world? Well, first and foremost, have an assessment process. There's a bunch of incredible courses out there teaching assessments out there. You can learn a lot, but make sure you have a continuum of progressions from passive data collection to active to slightly more strenuous, maybe even moving up to what you might call uh, functional movements, if you will. But so that way you can kind of get to know someone. Truthfully, you can easily just do this through personal training sessions by getting to know someone. But as you build up some fortitude and some relationship, now we can start thinking, okay, do I want to collect more quantitative data. It's still qualitative, but it's closer to quantitative than some of the other heuristics that we use. So if you've been watching for a while, Charlie McMillan, brilliant PhD, master's, just genius, and someone I really, really respect and uh, really, really appreciate in my world, created the PEC scale, progressive exercise continuum, progressive effort continuum scale, pardon me, and it really helps to delineate between 5%, 25, 50, 75, and 100% effort excursions. Why I like this is that when you're starting to get someone to apply force at a low to high level, it's an incredible place to start because you can see, are you comfortable with 5% effort? Has 25%, has 50% effort? Let's pause. How does your body react? 
come back a couple days later. How 75%, not bad. And you can see, you can slowly work on very strategic micro progressions, thank you Tom Purvis, to get to 100% effort excursions. And truthfully, I have some very sensitive demographic clients between 70 and 80 years old with full fractures in their back, spondylolisthesis and lesis and other sensitive spinal pathologies and structural changes. And they can, we've worked up to doing one rep max, maximal voluntary isometrics for one or two seconds with no problem. And truthfully, I think that in some cases, clients should be able to handle that because some of the amount of force and torque that they experience when they get out of a car or accidentally stumble outside is similar to that. Anyway, why am I talking about this? We need to make sure that our clients can tolerate the assessments that we're going to do before we even do them. Very critical step. Second, the most common way to assess someone's max force production is to, like I've regarded, perform a one rep max voluntary isometric contraction. You get somebody on one end of the scale and something on the other end, pull as hard as you can for one Mississippi, and you can see what the number is. That reaction, that number, is only going to be as good as the support is. Just very important, right? And that's where, if you have those hand dynamometers, very cool, but truthfully, if I'm holding a dynamometer like I am, like with my hands like so, like a handheld one, and someone pushes into me and I give, now we have introduced more kinetic energy and more inertia, rotational inertia as well, several things that can actually modify that force number and have it not be accurate, have it be extremely difficult to reproduce. That being said, what we have here is I've wrote out four steps. The Charlie McMillan's pec scale, definitely check out some of his previous episodes. We have a maximal voluntary isometric contraction, which is trying to assess force development. Then we have some different ways of assessing rate of force development, which you can do with this. More on that another time. Please message me if any questions about that. And then the last one I do like is duration of force development, which starts to assess fatigue tolerance from once, well, just in general, but then also from one side to another, if you would like. There's some very cool steps in this because if you look at any of the potentiation literature, it regards that when you elicit a potentiation response, we have an increase in force production, rate of force development, and that when someone achieves fatigue, it seems that the force production and rate of force production responses start to drop. And these effects are more pre prevalent in faster twitch dominant muscles. Why this is cool, and I do like this as an assessment for symmetrical pieces, but also assessing potentially asymmetries in force production, you can see how strong someone is from one side of their body to the other, which creates an awesome opportunity to see if that can get balanced from doing resistance training. In some cases, it might not be. It's an important thing to understand. Rate of force development is also important. If someone can achieve 43 LBF in their quad leg extension machine on left and right, they both can get there, but the one leg takes two seconds to achieve that 43 LBF. And then the right leg takes five seconds to achieve the same 43 LBF. That's very interesting because someone does have that same level of strength, but in a practical setting, if someone has to go down the stairs and control their descent with a maximal amount of force or speed or whatever it is, or they stumble, that one leg has a higher response time than the other. Is that a trainable response? Can you put effort in it to actually have that rate change from one side to the other? In some cases, yes. And in some cases you might not be able to, depending on the individual their pathologies, their current status, their age, a few other things. What's very cool is if you have those numbers, we can actually now have a conversation. Hey, listen, 
Your leg extension ability on the left side was 43 LBL, but it took two seconds to get there. Right took five seconds. Very interesting. What are your thoughts on that? Did you feel a difference? What did you notice? And we can start to try and do exercises to try and slowly bridge that gap to make it equal. I love it. Once we have that force development, and we start seeing those rate of force developments, if we get those close to the same, because in some cases, rate of force development is a non-issue, Duration of force development is a very powerful tool. And honestly, in my opinion, I think it is actually the most important of these three, in my biased opinion, truthfully. Because in many instances, when I think about the senior demographic with pains that I struggle with, or someone who's had a hip replacement, really anyone that has an asymmetry where they're trying to rehab it with exercise to a current place, their ability to endure from right to left seems to be a big thing. It seems to make a lot of sense to me that if someone has... Let's say someone's had a hip replacement on the left side, and they're in the process of regaining their ability to walk their 10,000 steps a day, which is an arbitrary number, but we can roll with that. They go for a walk, and they get to 2,500 steps, and they feel really good. But they get to 2,501 steps, and their left hip starts to get a little achy and tired. And then at 3,000 steps, the left hip is burning and exhausted, and they have to stop. But the right hip's not. What if we could create some assessments in a variety of different planes that helps us figure out the endurance factor in different planes and potentially different groups of muscles working together to see how we can get that closer to the same. That left hip can only produce 40, they both can again produce 40 pounds into hip abduction, but the left one can only do it for 12 seconds, while the right one can do it for 60 seconds. Now we have some much better information design exercise programs off of. And here what is super cool about this that I absolutely love but I will do this for a second. We start to take all of these very cool corrective exercises, if you will, and it turns into personal training. A $60 crane scale helps you make your personal training practice more efficient. In most instances, most personal trainers assess if a client is doing better from some sort of periodic, periodized scheduled assessment, or in the intercession, do you move better? Are you moving more weight? Do you feel good? And those are all important. But what if we could add another layer to this to see how everything fits in? And I will tell you what I love about using these scales more than anything than my own bias that you can sense in my tone is that our clients appreciate it because they're doing an exercise like, I think it feels better. And you're like, then they can actually see their leg extension is 30% less strong than the right on the left side. And it gives them something to work towards. I love it. It's super cool. As we start to move into this progression model, you have a lot of really cool options. We can start to break things down and start to go, okay, do we want to focus on one of these different types of contraction? <clears throat> concentric, myometric, isometric, concentric focus, isometric, eccentric focus, voluntary eccentric or involuntary eccentric. Lots of cool options. The next question is, if you want to choose one of these modes of exercise, could we actually think about using one of these modes in a specific setting that might help to resemble what the client is trying to do? If someone has an ADL where they're active daily living, they're trying to just get better at going down the stairs or up the stairs or off the toilet. How can we construct a resistance training exercise that helps to focus on the mode of contraction that they're struggling with getting off the toilet seems to be a concentric excursion of that knee extension in this case. So they actually get better at the one piece that they're not good at. And this is where you get to be a trainer because truthfully, as we start to move more 
Well, that works too. But as we start to move more into the resistance training continuum, you get to decide, are we going to do more strength-based training and improve force production? Are we going to do a different type of strength training? We're going to work on acceleration, quickness, rate of force development. We start leaning into hypertrophy where we're actually changing the size of the actual skeletal muscle unit and that continuum grows and increases its torque production, but then also enhances the skill of force development by being able to call in potentiation and orchestrate tissue together more efficiently. Or we're just working on endurance. How many of us are working on the actual metabolic health of our muscles? And not just for any random reason, but to actually help with one of these prior goals here. Getting into dynamometers and using force gauges has revolutionized our gym. Truthfully, even people who have the same education as us, we're separating ourselves because truthfully in our town, this little bit of information is helping us make a big impact. We have several clients that come to our facility that are physicians, chiropractors, other forms of medical or paramedical practitioners. And here's what's great about this. They love this because it's not just about how much weight we're moving on the machine. It's not just about which machine we're using. It's about how they are doing inside their body from one week to another. And then when they're feeling not good, how much does their force production change? When they're feeling good, how much does their force production change? Are there any differences from right to left? And it doesn't matter if there's a difference because some people are going to have asymmetries and that's okay. But is, does it get closer to the same? Because biological symmetry is efficient for helping with locomotion. Anyway, this has been really great and really exciting. And so I would encourage anyone here, please check out any of my other solo podcasts that I've done where we talk about post-activation, because I want to say this, it is not a panacea. It is not some magical thing, but truthfully, when you get the body to contract in different positions, you do make incredible force production changes. And that can have incredible carryover to clients in their lives. $60 crane scale. You can even get cheaper luggage scales gets you into the world. And if any of you are thinking, I want to get into doing this a bit more, how can I standardize this? Please send me a quick message and I'll let you know. Because truthfully, our marketing mentorship is teaching people how to get clients. But when you get clients, you got to keep them. And there's got to be a way that you can streamline the process so trainers of any level can start thinking about things critically, collecting assessment data, assess, assessment data, and actually making really incredible changes. Anyway. This is Brandon from Fitness Pro Mentors, the Fitness Pro Mentors podcast. Unfortunately, this is a solo episode of the Minds on Muscle show because our good cohort, Glenn, has got a really beautiful thing going on. He won't be able to be here today, but that's okay. He'll be here next week. So pick of the week for me, just in case you're wondering, it's a crane scale. Anyway, everyone, listen, thank you so much for watching. Uh, really excited about this. There's some really incredible stuff on the horizon with this and, uh, I'm looking forward to keeping you along for the ride. If you have any questions about post-activation potentiation, uh, preparation for contractions, and how to implement these machines, please let me know. I'm happy to talk about this more in the future. But until then, I'll talk to you real soon. Bye, everybody.